Hey, well, I'm excited today um, to open God's Word here and dive into this new series. My hope is that as we look at the life of Abraham here together, we will be challenged to move forward in faith, that we would have deeper trust, deeper gratitude, deeper confidence in the person and work of our great God. So before we dive into God's word together, can we pause and ask for his help? Father, we are grateful that you are faithful. Lord, you are kind to us in spite of us. You are merciful to us when we don't deserve it. And Lord, I pray that we would be freshly aware of your great faithfulness to people like us this morning. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Would you hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ in the next few minutes? In his precious name we pray, amen. From 1927 to 1941, four presidents were carved in massive relief in the Black Hills of South Dakota. These four presidents were chosen because up to that point, the most significant incidents in U.S. history happened during their tenure. Of course, I'm referring to what? Mount Rushmore. Very good. Now, I bring that up this morning because if there was a biblical Mount Rushmore, which there probably is in some like weird tourist trap town. I bet that that's out there somewhere. Then without question, Abraham would appear on that. As you read the story of Abraham, some of the most significant events in the entire biblical narrative occur under his time where he is kind of the protagonist of his story. Um, For instance, we often call Abraham the father of the faith. Or those who trust in Jesus are referred to by the nomenclature of the children of Abraham. And then, of course, when you get to the culmination of Abraham's story in Genesis chapter 2, there is pictured probably the clearest display in the Old Testament of the work of Jesus, prefiguring what Jesus would do in laying down his life on behalf of his people. The author of Hebrews comments it on this way, by faith, Abraham. When he is tested, offered up Isaac, he received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. To put it very simply, in the biblical storyline, Abraham is kind of a big deal. But while the Bible certainly has some glowing things to say about Abraham, when you read through Abraham's story, the emphasis is not so much on the man Abraham. The emphasis is actually on Abraham's God. Listen to this idea. The Bible is not, it is not primarily about the faithfulness of people to God, but rather about the faithfulness of God to people. We get it twisted when we put it the other way. The Bible is not so much a book of heroes that talks about these people we should emulate. Are there some examples in there? Of course. But ultimately, the Bible is not about how we should be like Abraham, but rather the Bible is about that we should trust in Abraham's God. We see this plainly as Abraham's story begins here in Genesis chapter 12. Any English buffs out there? Any English buffs? Okay, two. Wow. Okay, no conversations after church, okay? Nobody talk to one another. Just go on your way home, all right? What is the first 
person pronoun. What is that? I. Very good. You guys are smarter than you look. Okay. You have to be. You have to be, though. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want you to say that word with me. First person pronoun is? I. Say it again. I. Now, notice at the beginning of Abraham's story who the I is. This is God speaking. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your land and your relatives and your father's house to the land that will show you, will make you into a great nation, will bless you, will make your name great and will be a blessing, will we'll bless those who bless you, will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The primary actor, listen to this church, in Abraham's story is not Abraham. The primary actor in Abraham's story is I. It is God. Yes, certainly, Abraham made some good choices in his life. But he also made some absolutely cataclysmic ones. And through it all, the faithful God was working on Abraham's behalf. You see, listen to this. God is not interested in what you can do for him, but rather in what he can do for you. God don't need you. He don't need you on his team. You're not his number one draft pick. God has never had a need in the history of creation and before that. In eternity, God has never needed anything. He's impossible to buy Christmas presents for. God doesn't need us. He's not interested in what we can do for him. He's interested in what he can do for us. Sometimes I think we wrongly think of ourselves as kind of like power tools in God's hands. You know what I mean? We're like this super powerful circular saw, this drill with variable speeds that can do all kinds of things and just is super powerful. It's not a very good picture actually of how the Bible displays it. it because in the power tool, where does the power come from? It, it's in the tool itself. But I think a more accurate picture would be of this guy right here. Anybody know who this guy, this is like old timers. Anybody know who this guy is? His name, the man, the myth, the legend is Roy Underhill. And he had a woodworking show on PBS for decades. The funny thing about Roy Underhill is this, he never used power tools, never, never. At the end of the show, he would come up with these beautiful pieces of furnitures, he, would, he even built a house, no power tools, just chisels and awls and a lot of sweat. By the time every episode was done, like Roy Underhill was in a slather because he had taken this thing and he's chiseling and he's moving it. And he would use just these simple little tools to produce extraordinary results. I think that's a better picture of you and I. We're not a power tool with all kinds of intrinsic ability in ourselves. We're not drill with various speeds that you can use in all kinds of different situations. We're just a simple, little, straightforward tool when put in the right person's hands can be used to make incredible things. We are simple tools. And I think that's the whole story of Abraham. What the story of Abraham illustrates is that God can take simple people like you and me and do incredible things. God can work in and through and for you, even if you're just a simple tool. Why? Because the power of God's work, listen, the power of God's work comes from God's own hand. He doesn't need you to be awesome. 
He doesn't need you to be clever. He doesn't need you to be powerful. He doesn't need you to be influential. He doesn't need you to be rich. He just needs you to be available. Because he can take a simple tool like you and I and do unbelievable things. I think, in fact, God called Abraham simply to illustrate that God can work through anyone who would trust in him. You say, well, Ryan, why is that? Well, you see, sometimes when we have this initial impression of Abraham, you know, I say Abraham, and you kind of think like spiritual A-lister. Like he's on that Mount Rushmore, right? He is, he is a very, like he is a pillar of the faith. And yet do you realize that at the beginning of Abraham's story, Abraham couldn't be further from a pillar of the faith. In fact, he was far from God. And, and he only became a pillar of the faith because God was at work in and through him. Which reminds us of the simple idea. We go forward because God is faithful. We go forward because God is faithful. We don't go forward because we're awesome. We don't go forward because we're super mature. We don't go forward because we've got it all figured out. We go forward because the God we serve is faithful to his promises. He's never dropped a ball. He's never thrown an interception. He's never got down to the one yard line and fumbled. God keeps his promises every single time, which leads me to my point this morning. It is simply this. We must trust God to be faithful to his promises. We've got to trust that he will be faithful. And if we're to learn anything from Abraham's life, we've got to know Abraham's God. So in the next few moments, what I want to do is I want to give you three reasons why you can trust Abraham's God. So if you're taking notes, and as I always say, there's special rewards in heaven for those who take notes. Second Hezekiah 4, look that up, it's there. If you find it, let me know. I'll give you some money, yeah. Three reasons why God can be trusted. God keeps his promises, number one. God keeps his promises, one, to the far off. Say, what do you mean by that, Ryan? Well, as I said, when we think of Abraham, our first impression is that he is like the father of God's people often. Like he's a pillar of the faith. He's in the hall of fame of faith. Yet we must remember that in Abraham's day, listen, there was no scriptures. There was no priesthood. There was no temple. There was not even a nation of Israel. Abraham had none of those things at the beginning of his story. In fact, Genesis seems to hint that before God called him, Abraham was probably an SIP. Standard issue pagan, okay? He was not anything impressive. He was just a standard issue pagan. You say, Ryan, how do you know that? Look at Genesis chapter 11, verse number 27. These are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. So what does that tell us? Well, Abraham was born and bred in a city called what? Ur, Ur. Now, back in ancient times, Ur, it was a major city, and, and the most prominent structure in the whole city of Ur was a ziggurat. You know what a ziggurat is? It, it's, it's like a stair-stepped 
pyramid. So think of a pyramid with stair steps on it. And in the center of the city, it was dominated by the ziggurat. And on the top of it, kind of the pinnacle of the city of Ur was this temple to the moon god. And Ur, in fact, during this time was known as kind of the seat and the capital of moon god worship. It was just like booming in that day. So Abraham was raised in this pagan culture where the main object of worship was the god of the moon. And then Joshua gives us another interesting detail. Look over at Joshua chapter 24, verse number 2. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, watch this, the father of who? Abraham. And Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other, what's it say? That's interesting, isn't it? So Abraham, before God called him, was either, most likely, he was an idol idol worshiper himself, or at the very least, he was in a home and a culture that was saturated with idolatry. So what does that mean? It means Abraham didn't have any, like, spiritual pedigree or privilege on his resume. Abraham wasn't any better than anyone else there. And here's the good news. God called him. Abraham was just your standard issue pagan probably. Kind of going about his way, worshiping his own God. And then the faithful God stepped in and said, I want you. I want you. You follow me. Here's what this reminds us of, church. It's simply this. There is no faithlessness in you that is greater than the faithfulness in God. There is no faithlessness in you that is greater than the faithfulness in God. And that is not just Abraham's story, that's all y'all's story. Every single person in this room, we are not more deserving than other people, we are not better than other people, we don't deserve God's favor in a greater way than other people, but if you have trusted in the work of Jesus, God will keep his promise to you. In fact, the most famous verse in all the Bible tells us that very plainly, John chapter 3, verse number what? Wow, you guys are, man, have you seen a Bible, y'all? Have you seen it before? It's this book, usually leather, about this big. John chapter 3, verse number what? 16. 16. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that, 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 I'm a whoever, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So no matter what your background is, no matter what your culture is, no matter how far gone you are, no matter how far God from God you feel, if you trust in the work of Jesus Christ, what will happen? God will keep his promise to you. Just like he was faithful to the far off Abraham, he can be faithful to far off people like you and me. If we will trust in what he says, God will be faithful. Some of you may believe yourself too far from God for him to work in and through and for you. Some of you might believe yourself like beyond the reach of the grace and mercy of this faithful God. But I want to remind you of something from the story of Abraham, and it is simply this. God can make pagans into patriarchs. 
God can make pagans into patriarchs. He can transform the farthest away into a right relationship with him through the work of Jesus. God is faithful to the far off. Number one, that's why you should trust the Lord. Number two, why else should you trust this promise-keeping God? It's this, because God is faithful to the failing. (laughs) So the Lord makes these unbelievable like far-sweeping promises to Abraham. I will bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless all the nations of the world through you. You would think that Abraham would hear these wonderful promises and kind of go out energized, you know, ready to hit the ground running. I mean, this guy's going to tear it up for the Lord. He did it, all right? Because the very next story that is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 12 is awful. I mean, Abraham hatches this plan. So there's a famine, and Abraham's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to Egypt, and I'm going to get some food down there. And uh, I've got this little plan about how we're going to survive. Just listen to, this is unedited, okay? This is... This is the Bible raw in one sense. Listen to what it says. It is not very flattering. Genesis 12, verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he, Abraham, said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. Abraham, you should have just stopped right there. Just, you're done. Like, don't say anything more. But he keeps going. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. So instead, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. I mean, seriously. What is wrong with you? Like, we outlaw that statement at our house, like you're not allowed to say what is wrong with you. But right now, this is an appropriate time to say, Abraham, what is wrong with you? This is devious, self-centered, misogynistic, cowardly and flat ungodly. To put it in vernacular, Abraham royally blew it. I mean, there's no other way to cut this. Like, this is awful. Founder of our faith. Children of Abraham. Don't you want to wear that proudly on your chest today? I'm a child of this guy. But despite Abraham's blatant deceit, When Sarah is taken into Pharaoh's household, God not only protected Sarah, he protected this knucklehead as well. Look at what it says. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? I'm asking the same question, Pharaoh. Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So let's recap. Let's just recap. Abraham acts like a moron. That's in the Greek or Hebrew, actually. Yeah, it's there. He tells a big, fat lie. And y'all, God still keeps his promise to him. Even though Abraham royally blew it, God kept his promise. Here's the principle. Our failures do not diminish God's faithfulness. Our failures do not diminish 
God's faithfulness. You know when God will keep his promises? Always. Doesn't matter how bad you blow it. Doesn't matter how big the failure. You know when God is faithful? Every single time. God keeps his promises no matter what you do. And again, this is incredibly good news because many of you have things in your stories that have made you believe that God is essentially done with you, right? Some of you got more closets than you do, or some of you got more skeletons than you do got closets, right? Maybe it's a failure in your past. Something you've done, something that's been done to you that even the thought of it makes you feel deeply ashamed. Maybe it happened decades ago and you think about it and it's just overwhelming in your heart and you think, God can't work through me. I've messed up too much, I've failed. <laughs> Maybe it's some character trait. Any of y'all got a character trait or a habit that is just the worst thing about you? You know what I'm talking about? That you're like, <laughs> I lost my temper again, 10,000 times. I can't, I can't believe this. Like, I keep doing the same thing. I'm worried again. How many times has God shown up for me, and here I am biting my nails off again? I'm awake at 3.30 in the morning, and God has never let me down, and here I am not trusting him again. What is wrong with me? I failed again. Logged on to that site looked at that pornography, spoke to my wife that way, spoke to my husband that way, spoke to my parents that way. What is wrong with me? God can't possibly love to me. I am a failure. Hey, y'all, welcome to the club. You're in good company. Here is the father of the faith who made a cataclysmic blunder, and guess what? God's still faithful. God keeps on keeping his promises even to fallible believers like you and me. Anybody fallible in here? <laughs> so thankful for the verse that says, even when we are faithless, he remains what? Faithful. God's faithfulness is not diminished by our failures. The story of Abraham reminds us that even when we fail, God is faithful. Now listen, I want to do something right now. I want the word of God, not the word of Ryan. That's not very valuable. I want the, come on, like object to that or something. Like have some sort of push up. No, pastor, no, no, come on. Like some sort of resistance, all right? Uh, I want us to hear the words of our Lord. And, and, and can, I, can I even offer maybe a little posture right now? Can you lean in a little bit? Can you incline your ear to what the Lord wants to say to you right now? And can you maybe even, you know, we're a little bit back to Costal in here. Um, you maybe even say, amen. amen. I know, it's shocking, it's hard. Like, try it, like, try it, amen. amen. Because you know what amen means? That's not just like a, just a churchy word that like makes pastors feel good about themselves. Although it does, so say it please, it's just, yeah. Again, it's half-hearted. I don't know what's going on here. What do I do to you people? Amen means so be it. In, in essence, you're, you're hearing the promises of God and you're saying, yes, that's true. 
even if I don't believe it, I'm going to fight to believe it right now. So I want us to lean in just a little bit and hear the promises of God to you this morning. Here's what it says. He who started a good work in you will carry it on into completion into the day of Christ Jesus. Mm, that's right. God can't stop, won't stop. He'll keep working on behalf of his people. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. God's mercies never end. They are new every morning. And the church said, Amen. you know, there's some new mercies available for you tomorrow morning. You may go to bed with a load of care on your back, but when you wake up in the morning, there is a truckload more waiting for you. Nothing life or death or things present or things to come or things in hell or things in heaven. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the church said, Amen. do you believe that? Nothing in your past and nothing in your present, none of your failures are enough to make God say, I don't want them no more. I'm done. No, because if you are in Christ, then God is committed to you as he has committed to Jesus. He can no more disown you than he can disown his own son. If you have trusted in the work of Jesus, God will complete what he started. The question I'd like to ask all of us is this. Is there an area a failure or brokenness in you that tempts you to believe that God cannot or will not work in you? Is there an area in your life of brokenness in you that causes you to think that God cannot or will not work in you? Or at least he doesn't like to work in you. You might say, God loves me, but he probably doesn't like me very much. Are there things in your life that are in front of you right now? I'm going to do something right now because I just feel like it. Alejandro, where are you at? Yeah, can you come play in the keys right now? Man, would you be bold enough right now, right now, would you be bold enough if that is you, if you're saying, you know what, you don't need to share the details, but you're, you're saying right now, Pastor, I'm carrying around a burden, and it makes me feel distant from God. And I would like the people of God to minister to me right now. I'm carrying around a burden, and it makes me feel distant from God. Alejandro's going to play right now. And if that's you, I would like you to stand on your feet right now. Stand on your feet. I'm carrying around a burden, and it makes me feel distant from God. And I want the people around you, would you just pray for them right now? Just stand up. Okay, great, great. Stand up. Lay your hands on them, saints. Lay your hands on them and just start praying for these folks right now. Pray out loud over them. Just minister to these people. If you see someone standing, go over there and pray. Ask God to them. Here's some folks over here standing. Great. If they're standing up, you go find them and you just pray over them for a minute. Let's pray that they would feel the love of God and know that God loves people that are far off and God loves people that fail. You don't have to know the details to just pray for someone. Let's take a minute and do this. Amen. Hey, 
receive what's being prayed over you right now. Receive that. what the church does that minister to one another Father I pray for these dear folks right now Whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is in their heart that tempts them to believe that you can't or won't or don't want to work in and through them. I pray they would remember that you are the faithful God to people who fail. Pray they would run to Jesus right now to turn to him and receive your grace and your mercy and your cleansing. Lord, thank you that you are faithful even when we are faithless. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Brothers and sisters, your past nor your present can annul God's promises. Your past or your present does not annul God's promises. Number three, reason you should trust the Lord is that he is not only faithful to his promises to the far off and to the failures, but he is faithful to the promises to the fearful. <laughs> nowhere in this text, nowhere in this text does it say that um, Abraham is explicitly afraid. It, it doesn't say that. But think about the command that God gives Abraham here. Look at verse number, chapter number 12, verse number 1. The Lord said to Abraham, Go, go from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews elaborates. Look at what it says, Hebrews 11, verse 8. And Abraham went out, not knowing where he was going. I think that describes every time my wife sends me to the grocery store. I'm like, honey, this is like the most stressful thing in the world. I have all these uh, advanced educational degrees, but I cannot find where the almond milk is. It's very painful. But here's the reality. God is essentially saying to Abraham, hey, leave everything behind. Leave your family, leave your friends, leave the life that you have known and leave it behind. And by the way, Abraham is not a young man when this happens. Do you know how old Abraham is at this point in the story? He is 75 years old. And God says to this seasoned man, not old man, seasoned man, right? That's right, that's right. I've been a pastor long enough not to be foolish in that way, right? The seasoned man, pack it up. Leave it all behind. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that was scary? Yes or no? Of course. 
This is a scary command. No matter which way you slice it, God is calling Abraham into a place that he does not know. Dare I say, he's calling him into the unknown. Yeah, right? Yeah. No? No Disney parents here? Okay, very good. Right, right. But even if Abraham's future was completely uncertain and the details of God's plan were murky at best, God stayed faithful. Go! And Abraham's kind of like, I'm scared. Go anyway. Skip down to verse number four. So Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and when they came to the land of Canaan, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Here it is, Abraham. I know that was scary. I know I ask you to just leave it all behind, but remember what I said, I will show you the land and I am showing you the land right now. Now, Abraham didn't get to see everything that the Lord would do. It wasn't until generations later that his descendants fully inherited the land, but this was true. Abraham's obedience to God faced his fears and overcame them. All right, look, this is a gigantic biblical principle. I want you to listen to this very carefully. If you don't get anything else today, get this. Every deed of faith is also a defeat of fear. Every deed of faith is also a defeat of fear. Let me, let me unpack that. So when Abraham heard this command, do you think he was scared in his heart? Yes or no? Absolutely. There's no question about it. He's a human being. And yet God told him to go. Here's the question. Was Abraham ruled by his fear? No. He certainly was afraid, but he didn't allow fear to have the upper hand in his life. So he said, God, you said go. This is scary, but I'm going. And you're all acquainted with this. If you know Jesus at all, you are all acquainted with this phenomenon. Can you remember when you first trusted Jesus? And somebody said, man, you need to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And in your heart, no doubt, there were some fears that you said things like, well, can I be sure Jesus will catch me? What will other people think in my life? I mean, what will my family say? This is a little bit scary, but if you trusted in Jesus, what did you do? You didn't let your fear overcome your faith. You rather overcame your fears with your faith. So you took that step. If you've ever, don't raise your hand for this one, okay? Because I don't want to know. <laughs> if you've ever given generously to something, you ever given generously to something, and you have that check or that cash in your hand. I remember the first time this happened to me. I was in college, and I put a $20 bill in the offering. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> that was like a fortune. And it was like when you were putting that money in the offering plate or giving it to God, what are you doing? You're having to address your fears. Lord, how am I going to go to Taco Bell if I don't have this $20? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to survive? How am I going to go forward? And so it's like, okay, no, but it's right. So I'm going to take a step of faith and I have to overcome my fears. You know that's just a Christian life. That's just the nature of the Christian life. You have to look your fears in the eye and say, if God is calling me in this, even though it is scary, I am going to overcome my fear. Can I, can I, can be honest, some of you right now are letting spiritual cowardice just kick your tail. You're living in fear about what other people will say or what it will cost you, 
when you know God is calling you to some step of obedience. And I just want to encourage you like Abraham, God does not promise. He does not promise us a fear-free existence. In fact, often the path of following the Lord is a path that leads us into the scary places. Just read the Bible. God will often call us to go into scary places. But here is what the story of Abraham reminds us. Though the Lord does not always give us the information about how things are going to turn out, he does tell us this, I'll be faithful to keep my promises to you even when it's scary. (laughs) Right now, God seems to be leading Gospel Hope and First Baptist into a country that we have not seen. And it's a little scary. And I'm the pastor. (laughs) But it seems to be the Lord's direction. And I realize that I don't know the ending, but I want to encourage all of us with this. Though fear of uncertainty is inevitable, so is the certainty of God's faithfulness. (laughs) When things aren't certain, it's inevitable that we get a little scared. But we don't have to be dominated by those fears. Because our God is faithful even when things are uncertain. We can trust him in the midst of this. So you may hear all this and say, Ryan, I really do want to live in that type of faith. I do believe at some level that God will keep his promises, but God just showed up and like spoke to Abraham. I mean, I've never experienced that before where like God just shows up and says, I will bless you and I will make you a great nation and I've never had that happen. Can I really be sure that God will keep his promises to me like he did to Abraham? The answer is a resounding yes. And here's why. I want you to put your theological thinking caps on here for a moment because I'm about to blow your mind in the sense of what the Apostle Paul says here in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 29. This is earth-shattering. Verse, Galatians 3, verse 29. If... You are Christ. Okay, so if you've trusted in the gospel, look at the screen. Then you are whose? Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the... What's that word? What? Hold up. That means that if we've trusted in Jesus then the promises to Abraham flow through Jesus to who? Us. Those promises were not just for Abraham. They were to his offspring. And who is that offspring if you've trusted in the work of Jesus? It is, or to use the Greek, all y'all. It's yours. You are an heir of Abraham if you have trusted in Jesus. So all those promises that come to you are yours in Christ Jesus. To put it very plainly, God sent Jesus into the world to die on a cross and rise from the dead for people like you and I so that we could be brought into the family of Abraham, not biologically, but spiritually through faith. The ramifications of this are absolutely astounding. If you trust in the work of Jesus, you are an heir according to the promise. And this book, it's an iPad, I know, but it's got the book on it, is absolutely loaded from cover to cover, jam-filled with promises that God makes to the children of Abraham. 
God sent Jesus so that all of these promises could be yours. All of these promises could be yours through the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. There's only one way to close this service. It's to once again remind ourselves of just a few of those promises. So you ready to lean in once again? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says simply this, if you have trusted in Christ, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And the church said, if you have trusted in Christ, here's what the God of heaven promises. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. And the church said what? If you've trusted in the work of Christ, Jesus himself says this, my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And the church said, what? Listen, y'all, the future can be scary. We live in scary days, but God is always faithful. The future is uncertain, but the faithfulness of God is a bedrock reality. Let us trust in the one who keeps his promises. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you are faithful. Oh, forgive us for doubting that. Help us to more deeply cling to your promises and your work. You are faithful, God. Give us a deep confidence in the work of Jesus. Help us to bless your name. You are the God of Abraham, and you are the God of those who trust in Abraham. So I pray, even right now, Lord, if somebody in here is not trusting in the work of Jesus, I pray you would, like Abraham, you would call them right now. You would call them to turn from their sins and trust in the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. And we saw Jordan and Lizzie so powerfully proclaim through baptism. Lord, I pray that we would believe in the one who is faithful to his promises. In the precious name of your son, we pray. Amen. Let's stand on our freedom and worship the Lord one more time.